0: Mark chapter number 3 this morning, and I just want to read five verses very quickly, and uh, then we'll go to the Lord in a word of prayer. I want to help you this morning. I want to encourage you. Uh, You know, some messages are for the purpose of exhorting and edifying, and others are for the purpose of rebuking. Uh, Some messages are for the purpose of encouragement. And this morning, I want to try to help you and encourage you. Beginning in verse number 1 of Mark chapter number 3, The Word of God says, and he entered again into the synagogue, speaking of our Lord. And there was a man there which had a withered hand. And they watched him. Now, who's they? That's the Pharisees. And they watched him, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day, that they might accuse him. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. And he saith unto them, unto the Pharisees, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? or to do evil, to save life, or to kill. But they held their peace. And when he had looked round about on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Whole as the other. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, I just ask that Your presence would be manifest, God, that the Holy Ghost would be able to speak to hearts this morning. Lord, we need Your presence. We can gather and we can sing songs. We can have a message. We can have an offering. We can have an invitation. But Lord, if Your presence is not felt, if You do not have liberty to work in our hearts and lives, to conquer, Lord, the imaginations and the strongholds which would exalt themselves against You, Lord, then it's all been for naught. It's all been vanity. Lord, we want to lift up your high and holy name this morning. We want you to do business with our souls. Father, we love you and thank you for all that you have done. Bless each and every one that's made the effort to be here this morning. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read a verse to accompany what we've read this morning. Just one verse out of the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. And I believe it provides a little context to the message This morning. Now, we've read this morning of a man with a withered hand. He certainly was not the first, certainly was not the last. To this day, there's people who have appendages and members and arms and legs uh, that die and that are withered. But this man was special uh, because the Lord passed by his way this day. Changed his life forever. I thoroughly believe that when the Lord performed a miracle, it wasn't just to heal the body, but it was to save the soul. And He spoke to this man, dealt with this man, with his soul in view and with his soul in mind. But listen to what the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 12 and verse 12 says. It's speaking of the church. And it says, for as the body is one... And hath many members. And when it speaks of members, it's speaking of appendages or parts of the body. The body is one, uh, but it has many members or many parts. And all the members of that one body, being many, are one body. So also is Christ. Now, this is speaking of the church this morning, and saying that a church uh, is the body of Christ, has many members in it, many different parts, but they all constitute the body of Christ. And uh, the, if you read the context of that passage, it speaks of uh, how that each and every part has its place and has a purpose in it. Uh, but as we read this story in Mark chapter number 3, uh, I'm struck by the notion uh, that in a lot of ways this, represents, uh, this man represents the body of Christ. This man's hand represents to me a lot of people that I've known. You see, this man, we're told, was at the synagogue. He was in a place of worship. We do not know his motive for going there that day. He may have gone there hearing that Christ might pass by. He may have gone there uh, hoping that he might have some part in the formal worship that would take place. Uh, But whatever his reasons, he found himself in the house of God. uh, And there he was. He was waiting for something to happen. He was willing for something to happen, but there was a problem in his life though he was waiting and though he was willing, we find that he was withered. He had a desire to be in the house of God. He had a desire to serve God. He had a desire to do something mighty for God. But the problem was there was a part of him that was incapable that had withered prohibiting him from from doing something for Jesus Christ. Could I say to you this morning that I understand there's a lot of apathy in churches. I understand there's a lot of people that could and won't serve God. But could I say that I believe there's also a faction of people this morning that have a desire to do something for God, but there's a part of their life that has withered. There's something that has prohibited them, something that has gotten in the way. Uh, They know they ought to be serving God. A part of them wants to serve God. They're waiting to serve God. They're willing to do it and yet they find themselves still not serving Jesus Christ. Uh, do you know that uh, as we read this passage, I found an interesting fact as I studied it, and I just want to give you three quick things this morning. I don't know if you're with me or not, but I'm going to pretend you are and preach on. Amen? So I want to give you three very quick things this morning. As I studied this passage, you'll find this same story in the book of Matthew chapter number 12, and in the book of Luke chapter number 6. And by the way, for all of those... Of of you that study to show yourself approved unto God, any time that you study the Word of God and study in the Gospels, I exhort you to always get every Gospel account on a matter. Not because they'll contradict, because we know the Word of God is perfect. It will never contradict, but because they amplify one the other. You learn things from one, you won't learn from the other one, and you find a conglomerate picture as you read all the Gospel accounts. And as I began to look at these words, I, I considered the word with, What does it mean to be I'm sure most of us could put a very practical working definition with it, uh, but I found that it has the connotations and the idea of dryness. In fact, this same word is used whenever our Lord uh, spoke about the Pharisees and said that they can pass sea and dry land uh, to proselyte and make them twofold, the child of hell, more than themselves. That same word is used when it says dry land, that which is deserted, that which is barren, that which has wasted, Wasted away, but what I found as I studied this was in Matthew's account, the word "withered" is an adjective. Now that's pretty common. We know what an adjective is; it describes a noun. Uh, just like me, I'm a preacher and I'm fat. Amen. So I'm a fat preacher. Okay, that's a fat would be the adjective in that passage, or uh, we might say ugly, or we could say any number of things. I guess beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Amen. But uh, you know uh, that's an adjective; it's describing a noun. And it's an adjective in Matthew, and it's an adjective in Luke. But I began to think about this man and his hand, and I I wondered to myself, was he born with a withered hand? Did something take place that had withered his hand? How did he come to have this withered hand? And as I looked in the book of Mark, and I looked at this word, I found that in the book of Mark, it's not an adjective that's used, but a verb is used. And you say, well, preacher, that's not significant. What does that mean? Well, that tells me one specific truth. It's not just that this man had a hand that was withered. Are you st- are, are you with me? It's not just that he had a hand that was withered. It's that he had a hand that had withered. There's a difference this morning, you understand. It, it's not just that he was born with a hand that was withered, but something took place in this man's life that caused his hand To wither. Do you know as I think about Christians, uh, the vast majority of them, when they got saved, they had a desire to serve God. In fact, many of them, the first thing they did, and I'm always struck, one of the uh, biggest mistakes I believe a lot of churches make is a person gets freshly saved and they won't stick them at the head of a ministry when they've not been properly trained or taught or anything. But do you know why that's a temptation? Uh, Because they're so willing to do something for Jesus Christ. And when you got saved, I'm sure you came charging out of the bondage of hell and you was ready to serve God, amen? I mean, you was ready to do something for Jesus Christ. No doubt this man, when he was born, uh, me and Dad have talked about it a few times as, as he looks at little L.B., my little boy, and he said, you know, one of the things that's amazing about a little baby is, he said, they're all brand new. I said, well, yeah. And he said, well, no, I mean that their joints all work. Nothing hurts. Nothing nothing is broken. And some of you are saying amen right there, because you are broken. But uh, everything works just right. I'm sure when this man was born, he had just a beautiful little baby's hand. Nothing cute as a baby's hand, is there? God, I didn't know a hand could be fat, but their hands are just fat and got little dimples. Like a, little, uh, like a little catcher's mitt of Vienna sausages, you know? And uh, uh, they're just so perfect and so clean and so pure and everything works right and everything's full of wonder. And no doubt this man, when he was born, uh, was born with a healthy hand. And uh, you as a child of God, when you were saved, when you uh, got up from your knees, washed in the blood of Christ, birthed into the family of God, everything was new and you were excited to serve God. And I began to think, number one, about the history of this hand. What did this hand done? I thought about what hands are for. You know, hands are identified with service. We operate, we do things with our hands. Uh, Our feet are identified with moving and traveling and going places, but the hands, unless you walk on your hands, your hands are identified with handling and doing and accomplishing things. And I thought about three things. I just want to give them to you very quickly. I, I thought to myself, you know, Brother Charlie, these hands had probably served at one time. There had probably been a time when these hands, uh, he's here at the temple, he's here at the synagogue, and uh, he's uh, this is probably his custom, there was probably a time when these hands had brought sacrifices to God. There was probably a time, and uh, Luke tells us that it was his right hand, his hand of power, and uh, as was custom in the Old Testament, uh, the uh, person giving a sacrifice would bring their sacrifice to the priest, and the priest would look upon this sacrifice, examine it, determine whether it was fit or not, but then it was the person's responsibility to take the blade, to draw it across the neck because it was their sin and their responsibility to take that animal's life. No doubt this hand had held a ceremonial blade at times. No doubt this hand had served God in times past. Can I say this morning, there may be some of you here that you look back on your life and you can remember a time when you served God. You can remember a time when you, nothing was too much for God to ask of you. You can remember a time where the words, uh, I don't have time when it came to the things of God just never came out of your mouth. Uh, when you'd do anything and everything that you could do. If it meant washing dishes, you'd wash dishes to the glory of God. If it meant mowing a yard, you'd mow a yard for the glory of God. If it meant vacuuming uh, carpeted, vacuum carpet for the glory of God. If it meant walking down the streets and giving out tracts, you'd do it to the glory of God. And whatever it is that would be asked of you, you is happy to serve. I think about hands, and I say these hands had probably served at one time. But I thought about something else. You know, uh, a lot of times we use our hands to feel things. I mean, that's what they're there for, right? And uh, especially a blind person, their whole world uh, is dictated to them by how it feels. I, let me ask you a question. This will bust your mind wide open. You ever wonder who cleans up after a and I dog? You'll be thinking about that for two weeks and say thank you, amen? <laughs> we use our hands to sense, to feel, uh, to observe the world in a sense. And, and uh, uh, sensitivity in hands is something that's very important. Uh, some of you that are getting up in years, you remember a time when you could, you ladies, you could thread that needle without even having to worry about it. You men, you remember a time when you could, them little screws that you had to put in, uh, it wasn't no problem to you to take that and just uh, twist it right in to where it was supposed to go. You remember a time when your hands were sensitive. Do you know that most believers, when they're first saved, they're sensitive to the working of the Holy Ghost? You remember a time probably in your life when it didn't take much uh, to to start the tears to flow, and it didn't take much to start you thinking about Calvary. It didn't take much. Before you'd hit an altar, it didn't take much for you to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Nowadays, most of us are like Jonah. God's got to throw us in a belly's well and carry us to where He wants us to be because we're too too stubborn and bullheaded to listen uh, to the Lord. I was talking to, and I can't remember, it might have been the message, it might have been the class, I don't know when I said it, but I said it here recently, uh, that, you know, uh, we, we sometimes think that God only cares about the big things in our life. Do you know, and I like this illustration that was given, an old Bible teacher named G. Campbell Morgan was taking questions one time, and somebody asked him, uh, said, Mr. Morgan, uh, do you think God cares about the uh, small things in our life? And Mr. Morgan smiled and he said, what things would be big in your life to God? See, God cares about the small and the large things just like. But do you know why it is we get the feeling that God is not concerned with the small things? Most of the time, God's just trying to get us to listen to Him in the big things. All of our time is spent wrestling with God over who we're going to marry, where we're going to live, where we're going to go to church, where we're going to go to work. We don't want to listen to Him. We're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so we never sense that leading in the uh, minuscule and minute day-to-day things of life. I believe his hands were probably sensitive at one time, but I thought about another thing. Uh, you know, hands ought to be used to help one another. I think these hands had probably served and they had probably sensed, but I think they had probably strengthened others at times. Uh, you know, boy, there's nothing like when you get help from a neighbor, is there? I don't know, maybe you don't live on a place big enough to need any help around the house, but uh, if you've got a tree that needs felling down, if you've got uh, a garden that needs to be dug up, if you've got something that needs to be done, boy, there ain't nothing like having somebody that'll come by and help, is there? I mean, it's nice to have friends. There ain't nothing like a good warm handshake. There ain't nothing like somebody that'll help you out of a ditch. And uh, I don't think there's any question that there'd probably been times in this man's life when people could look to him for guidance and for help and for strength, and he could answer because he had a strong right hand. Things have changed now in his life. And some of you remember a time, listen carefully, some of you remember a time when you were the person people went to for spiritual guidance. Some of you remember a time when you were the person people went to to get someone to pray. You remember a time when you were the person that people went to when their world fell apart. But now things have changed. We see the history of this hand. But I want to take a minute and I want to think about the harming of this hand. I want to think about why did it wither. Why do things change in the life of a believer? Why do we, why do we grow cold? What can cause us to? And I thought about three reasons that a hand might become withered. I I would say that first off, I think a lot of times a hand can become withered because of illness. Certain debilitating diseases can cause your hand or your feet or some appendage to wither up. And I believe one of the most uh, biblical examples is that of leprosy. Leprosy decays away. It dries up and eats away the body. And do you know that in the Word of God, uh, leprosy is always, always, always a picture of sin? You know, there's some people that used to serve God, but then they got sin in their life. It, It wasn't much. It was just a little thing, but it was enough. Uh, sometimes the sin in their life was that they quit serving God. But they got something in, almost like a fly in the ointment, just something in, like a rock in their shoe, something in that caused them to stop and to cease serving God. One of the biggest struggles with young people and with teenagers, and I saw this in my time as a youth pastor. I see it in my time now as a pastor. But one of the biggest struggles uh, with teenagers is when they get to that time when they get a car. Now, I'm not opposed to teenagers driving. Uh, I, I'm scared of it sometimes, but I'm not opposed to it. Amen? I'm not, again, teenagers driving. But a lot of times, they get that car, and they get out of mom and daddy's house. And all of a sudden, they got that free time. And they got a place to hide things. And they're doing things on their own terms. And before long, I can't tell you how many, and I'm not pleased. Don't, don't go out of here and say that, that I'm saying that you ought not let your teenagers drive. You know that's not what I'm saying. But let me tell you something. I've seen cars be the downfall of a lot of kids because they allowed some type of sin in their life. They were serving God. They were excited. They were strong right hand being used of God in a mighty way. And then some sin got in their life. Most of the time... Listen, most of the time, the majority of sin in people's lives you know nothing about. The majority of sin in most people's lives you wouldn't know anything about. But there's certain signs and markers. And I understand, you know, people, people get older and stuff changes and they're not able to serve God in the same capacity. You know, you, can't, you may not be able to do all you used to do, but everybody can do something, amen? Amen? And a lot of times, one of the ways you can tell something's wrong is when people give up on serving God. Get out of the battle, get out of the fight, get out of the war. You say, there's problems. Well, yeah, it's a battle. There's going to be problems. But you allow that sin to get in your heart and your life, and it's not long, not long before things start distracting you from the house of God. Illness can cause a hand to wither. But do you know there's another thing, and and I may spend a minute or two on this. Do you know that not only illness can cause a hand to wither, but injury can cause a hand to wither? Miss Jean was just telling us about, uh, I believe it was her brother the other day that had had broke his arm and he didn't know anything about it. But because he had broke that arm and the blood had been cut off uh, from the bone and from many of the vessels, his entire arm had basically died. And it's not uncommon if there's a cataclysmic event uh, for a person's uh, appendages to wither up and die because there's no blood flow to them. And you know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I don't know of very many people that hadn't been hurt at some point going to church. Isn't that true? I don't know very many people that haven't gotten their feelings hurt at some point going to church. Your, your family's going to hurt your feelings. Your church family's going to hurt your feelings too sometimes. And there's a lot of people. And you can talk to them, friend, I mean by the wagon load of people. And you say, where do you go to church? Well, I used to go to church at such and such place. Well, what happened? Well, somebody hurt my feelings. Well, somebody said something about this or said something about that. Somebody did something. Somebody stepped on my toes. So I just got out. Well, you know, that's the worst attitude we can have. You know what the thrust of this discussion is in this passage? And I'm not going to preach it, but I think it needs to be mentioned. The thrust of this discussion is organized religion. That's what, that's what the Sabbath is representative of in this passage. Is organized religion. The church house, church services, church functions, your church family. Religion, as we might speak of it in a good way, or, or the church house, is it there to hurt or is it there to heal? Is it there to hinder? Or is it there to help? You see, they didn't want Christ to heal this man because it wouldn't have been very religious. And what Christ is saying is the whole purpose of religion is to help those that are hurting. That's what He's saying. The purpose of the Sabbath is to do good and that life may be born. And could I say, uh, when you get your feelings hurt, worst thing you can do is get out of the house of God. house of God is a place that you get healing and help from. The house of God's the place you get encouragement from. And there's a lot of people that have been serving God in a mighty way, and the devil gets in the mix and starts hurting feelings and starts uh, causing ruckus, and they say, I'm done, I I give up. This is a battle, friend. Don't think you're going to go through a battle without having some wounds sometimes. This is a war we're fighting against the devil, against the flesh, against the world. There's going to be battle injuries at times. And so often we want to say, uh, like the old king in the Old Testament, I've been wounded in battle, it's too much, and I give up. We see that sometimes injury can cause a hand to wither. But I thought about another one, and this I think a lot of people probably fit in the category of. Some of you may know what the word atrophy means. Could I say that idleness can cause a hand to wither? Atrophy is what takes place when a person ceases to use an appendage. Many of you have probably seen at times, I know I had an uncle that uh, had uh, had to have legs removed and feet removed, and I've known people that were disabled. If you've ever known anyone that was uh, bedridden or was wheelchair-bound, if they've been that way for a number of years, something you will undoubtedly notice is that their legs are usually very, very slender around. It's not that they can't walk because their legs are slender, but because maybe paralysis had set in, something uh, tragic had happened in their life, and they lost the use of their legs, because so much time went where they did not use their legs, it caused them to wither away. And so if you don't not use something, uh, then after an amount of time, it's going to begin to wither and begin to die. And you know there's some people that they're wanting a single reason in the world they quit serving God. They just stopped. They just stopped. It wasn't necessarily some scandalous sin in their life. They just stopped. Nobody hurt their feelings. They just stopped. might have been something slight, something uh, incidental. One of the things that goes hand in hand with young people when they get cars is most of the time when they get cars, they get something else, and that's called a job. And I've told young people before, and I've said it till I'm blue in the face, I still believe God expects us to be faithful to the house of God. And they say, well, i got to get a job. Well, your, your daddy before you got a job and was faithful to the house of God, and his daddy before him. It's possible, it's doable. And they say, well, you know, my manager down at the grocery store won't give me, you know, Sundays off. Well, switch grocery stores. You're not a rocket scientist. If the Kroger's won't take you, the Ingalls probably will. The house of God's more important than your $8 an hour. What's your plan? Just never go to the house of God again, because you got to make that minimum wage? That doesn't make any sense. And one of the things that you always see with young people, they get a job, pretty soon they're out of the house of God. It's not that they're mad. It's not that they got some kind of sin in their life. They just stopped. And before long, you know, it's a lot easier to stop than it is to start, Brother Ralph. That's the funny thing about serving God. The funny thing about, uh, about sin is it's a lot easier uh, to start than it is to stop. But the funny thing about serving God is it's a lot easier to stop than it is to start. And pretty soon they just stop. They just stop going to church, stop serving God, stop reading their Bible. They just stop. And all of a sudden, they begin to wither. I don't know why this man, why his hand withered. But I'm thankful that there's hope for folks with a withered hand. I'm thankful if you find yourself in this situation this morning. You at one time served God. You can remember a time when you were the person teaching the Sunday school class. You were the person driving the van. You were the person that was knocking on doors. You were the person that was serving and keeping up the grounds or cleaning things up. You can remember that time. But you've just stopped. Can I say there's hope for you this morning? You don't have to stay in that shape. I want us to notice the healing of the hand. I'm just going to give this to you real quick. I'm going to do my best to hush. We'll see. I want you to notice first off in this, the Savior's interactions with this man, we see that there was an expectation that was placed upon him. Christ looked at this man and he said, stand forth. Now that's interesting to me. That denotes a few things. And I just want to give them to you. They cross my mind. I think they'll, they'll cross yours. I want to say that the first thing that we see, the first step if you're going to start serving God again, is we see response to the voice of God. He had to respond to what God was speaking to him and to his heart. Can I say the first step? The first step is when the Holy Ghost begins to convict you, don't push him away. Say, Lord, what is it that you want of me? A lot of times we don't don't want to listen to the Holy Ghost because we're scared of him. And, And let me tell you something, this world today and a lot of Baptist churches have done a good job of getting us good and scared of the Holy Ghost. We're afraid if we start uh, following the Holy Ghost, there's going to be wildfire and all kinds of foolishness. Let me tell you something. The, the fire of the Holy Spirit is not strange fire. And God always accepts the fire of the Holy Ghost. Isn't that right? We don't have to be scared of the Holy Spirit. And if He's speaking to your heart this morning, the first thing that you need to do, don't push Him away. The devil will do everything he can to get you to push Him away. The devil will sit up on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and say, He ain't talking about you, he's talking about them. He ain't talking about you talking about somebody else. Or He'll sit on your shoulder and He'll say He's talking to you, but you, you're not able to. You can't do it. There ain't no sense in going down to an altar and trying to give God your heart again and your life again and, and commit to serve Him again. There, there's no sense in doing that because you're just going to fail. And you know what you ought to tell Him? Tell Him, hush, He's a liar from the beginning. He's a father of lies. We see that He had to respond. But I see also a picture of repentance. He had to repent. There he was, we assume, sitting, because the Lord told him to stand. He was in the place where he was at. We assume he was comfortable there. And a move and a change had to be made in where he was at. It's not very explicit, but it's there if you look. He had to get up from where he was, admit, this is what I'm getting at. He had to admit and acknowledge that where he was at was not sufficient. And he needed to get closer to the Savior. Let me tell you something, the first thing you're going to have to do, or the second thing, you've got to be willing to respond to the Holy Spirit. But you've got to be willing to admit that there's a problem in your life. I mean, even even this lost, undone world will tell you uh, that uh, one of the first things you have to do to face a problem is admit that there is one. And there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that won't serve God. And do you know why? They're too busy denying that they're not serving God. They're too busy denying it. They're saying, well, you know, Lord, I I know I'm not doing everything I can, but, you know, I'm not like that fell out there. God help us. Do you know that's what the Pharisee prayed about the publican? You know, uh, God, I thank Thee that I am not as that man. And we spend all of our time, and you know, Paul uh, Paul warned us about those that comparing themselves amongst themselves were unwise. And a lot of times we look around we say, yeah, I know I'm not doing everything I can, Lord, but... I'm doing more than that, fella. Say, so what do you ought to do if you find yourself in that shape? Well, you ought to work more on you and pray more for him. We see that you've got to repent. Admit there's a problem. Turn from your apathy. Say, Lord, you're right. There's a problem, and it needs to be fixed. But I want you to notice that there's a third thing. We see that he not only had to resume or respond and repent, but he had to resume. The Lord told him to stand up. Now, here's what I want you to get. The Lord didn't ask him to do what he couldn't do. He only asked him to do what he could do. You may not be able to do everything that you used to do, but everybody can do something. The Lord did not ask him to grab hold of his hand because he knew that he could not yet. But the first thing he had to do is say, Lord, I'll do anything that you ask of me. I'll do what you want. You've got to be willing to take that step. You know, we spend all of our time waiting Waiting on a perfect opportunity when we don't realize that perfect opportunities come from us putting our faith in Jesus Christ. We're waiting for God to make an opportune circumstance when the opportune circumstance just doesn't look like what we think it ought to look like. You see, we think of an opportune circumstance to serve God as being a uh, smooth, flat, easy road. Uh, But what God told Paul in the midst of his trial is, he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. But Paul said, I'll change what I believe about what a good circumstance is. And he said, I will therefore rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul said, I guess I'm going to have to change my definition of what a good opportunity is. Because we think of a good opportunity as when it's easy. But God says, no, no, my child, a good opportunity is when it's tough. That's when it's a good opportunity. You see, God could be glorified in the man with the withered hand. Uh, who knows how many people walked by with perfectly fine arms and the Lord didn't look their way. And you may be saying, the Lord can't use me. I've been out of it too long. God can't use me. I've not served Him in such a long time. God can't use me. I've got a sin in my life. God can't use me. Somebody hurt my feelings and I can't get over it. I'm telling you, you're the person God's looking to use this morning. Because He can show His glory forth in your life. Now, don't misunderstand me. If there's sin in your life, it has to be repented and forsook and gotten out of your life. If you've got bitterness in your heart, then God expects you to turn that bitterness over to Him. And if you've not been serving God, God doesn't expect you just to stay not serving Him and feel good about it. I'm saying a change will have to be made. But just because there has to be a change made doesn't mean God's not interested in you. God came to save and to seek. God came to change and to transform. That's what He's in the business of doing. We see an expectation put on Him. He had to respond, He had to repent, and He had to resume. But we see an exhibition spoken of. We see it in verse number 2, and we see it in verse number 4. In verse number 2, the Bible says that they all were looking and watching and waiting to see what the Savior would do. And in verse number 4, the Savior uses this man as an example when He speaks of the Sabbath day. You know what it's saying? It's saying that people are looking at Him. He's an example. We see that He is an example to others I'm always struck by the story in the Old Testament, uh, and I believe it's in 1 Samuel chapter 14, uh, where Saul is camped under the pomegranate tree in Gibeah, and the Philistines are encamped around the nation of Israel. And there they sit in their apathy. There they sit in the shade tree. Uh, Saul's doing nothing about the battle that needs to be fought. But all his son Jonathan, who had a heart for God and a heart for his friend David, uh, determines that he's not going to wait while the battle wastes away. He's going to do something about it. And so he grabs his armor-bearer, he goes and rushes down into the battle, and it speaks of him slaying uh, thousands in the space of an acre. There he is down there fighting off uh, the enemy. And do you know what the Bible says happened? The Bible says that those that were in the hills, and those that were in the caves, and those that were in hiding, they looked down in that valley and they saw Jonathan. And when they saw Jonathan in the fight, you know what them boys said? They said, you know, if Jonathan, if Jonathan will lead us, We'll go fight too. Saul's still camped out under a pomegranate tree. But those in the rocks and the hills begin to pour down into the valley to fight the battle. And you know, all it took was Jonathan and his armor bearer to take the step out in faith. Do you know there's some of you that if you'd, and I'm not, I, please, I'm not trying to tug on heartstrings and I'm not trying to be manipulative, but I'm being serious this morning. There's some of you, if you'd serve God, you'd be amazed how many people would serve God along with you. There's some of you that you're the person that someone's looking at, thinking, well, if they just go, I'd go. I'm always struck, and the choir is an interesting example of this. Uh, there's probably people sitting here that have thought, however long you've been at this church, you've thought to yourself, I'd go up into the choir if I get somebody to go up in there with me. There may be some of you that have thought to yourself, you know, I'd come to this ministry or that ministry. I'd knock on doors or I'd do this or I'd do that. If someone would just go with me, I'd do it. What about that person? that they're waiting on, maybe that's you. What I'm trying to say is people are watching you and they're paying attention to the way that you're living. We see uh, that in this passage uh, that there was an expectation and there was an example, but I want to end with this. We see an exhibition take place. He looks at this man and he says, stretch forth thine hand. When that man takes his hand and he stretches it forth, we find that it's restored whole as the other. This exhibits three things to me and I'm done. I want you to notice it tells us what the will of Christ is concerning those with a withered hand. It tells me that God's interested in you serving Him once again. God's inter- You say, preacher, surely God's mad at me. No, God's not mad at you. God knew what you was when He bought you lock, stock and barrel. He's not mad at you. He may be angry with your sin, but He's not angry with you. Calvary's there, atonement's made, the sacrifice has been given. Nothing stands in the way of you and the Savior but your own will. If there's sin in your life, He'll forgive it and He'll get it out. He's willing. He's able. We see not only Christ's will, but we see the man's faith. Uh, It's interesting that He said, stretch forth thine hand. That hand was dead. How, How could He stretch it forth? How could He do that, Brother Ralph? How could He stretch His hand forth? He obeyed the words of Christ and his faith taking hold of God's word. All of a sudden, life was breathed into that withered hand. You're going to have to trust that God's able to make something out of you again. You're going to have to trust that God's able to restore you because we see the power of Christ. He was restored whole as the other. As the other, you know what that tells me? That tells me that God did not just heal him; God restored him. It wasn't just a half-done job. God restored him just like the other hand, whole as the other. Some of you listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Some of you, this time in your life, could be the most fruitful time to serve Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, I, I, you know, I've got some years on me now, and I'm not. That doesn't mean anything. It didn't stop Caleb. It didn't stop Caleb as a, uh, an 80-year-old man when he purposed in his heart that he was going to take the mountain that God promised him. It didn't stop Caleb. You may not be able to do everything you used to do, but you'd be amazed what God can do with you if you'll submit to him. And some of you may be saying, Preacher, I'm too young. I'm too young. I'm not able to. Hey, Samuel was awful young when he heard the voice of God. Some of you say, oh, preacher, you don't understand. I've got, I've got sin in my life, and God won't forgive me of that sin. Hey, God used David. David had to repent of it, but God still used David. God still used David. Or you may say, preacher, you don't understand. I've been hurt. I've been hurt. I can't go on. You know, there's an interesting passage in Galatians chapter 2 when Paul is talking about an encounter he had with Peter. And he says that uh, the thrust of the discussion is when he went to visit Peter, that there was a group of Gentiles that were there, and some of them that he had, that Paul had brought with him. And when they go there, uh, Peter, he kind of snubs those Gentiles. Now, Gentiles were good enough for Peter when he was uh, going and uh, seeing the uh, vision from God and seeing uh, the sheet let down with four corners and God told him to slay and to kill and to eat. It was good enough whenever he was standing and preaching to Gentiles, but now all of a sudden that he's around a bunch of Jews, these Gentiles are second class. And Paul says, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. That probably hurt Peter's feelings, you know. That probably made Peter feel bad. But do you know that when Peter writes his second epistle, he speaks of the Apostle Paul and he says, Our beloved brother Paul. Peter got over it. You say, how did he get over it? He got over it with the help and grace of God. He didn't just get over it by just getting over it. He got over it because God helped him to get over it. And I could go through the Scripture and I could show you time and time and time again. And what I'm trying to say is this. Don't let the injuries keep you from serving God. Don't let the injuries stop you. I don't know who it's for. I don't know what it's for. But I believe believe the mind of God was what we've heard this morning. And this morning, if God's spoken to your heart, I just encourage you. Don't let the devil bully you. Respond to the work of the Holy Spirit this morning. You could do great things for God if you'd allow Him to work through you and in your life.